I was talking to a friend recently who was making plans to visit New York City. And he was mentioning all the things that he had heard about that he wanted to get to see while there. One of those things that he heard great things about was the High Line on Manhattan's west side, formerly a spur of the New York Central Railroad. In 2006, work was started to transform the abandoned rail line that started below 14th Street and ran through Chelsea into an urban green park. It was an immediate success when it opened to the public in 2009 and has expanded and grown in popularity since then. Its walkways are packed with tourists and natives alike. My friend was excited about seeing it and planned to walk its whole length, and I knew he would enjoy it, but I had a request for him. When he got to the portion at 17th Street, I told him to look east into the city. You'll see a brown and white 25-story building, and if you look at the right-hand column of windows and counted to the 23rd floor, and if by chance the gods of time travel were on the job that day, my younger self will wave to you from my old bedroom window. He was puzzled at first, then laughed when he saw I was kidding. Was I? Really, he said, you live there? You lived above the High Line? I smiled back, answered, well, in a matter of speaking, remember the time travel thingy. When I was there, it didn't look anything like it does now. Well, what did it look like, he asked. What indeed? Well, for one thing, it looked like another century. We moved into the housing project in the spring of 1965, and then that whole portion of the west side, especially near the docks, was a desolate industrial wasteland. The elevated west side highway hugged the piers, and that rail line paralleled it. It was right below our window as the building bordered 10th Avenue. I remember thinking how much it seemed like two eras clashing. Here the city had just finished building these sparkling new buildings, eight in all, between 9th and 10th Avenues, from 16th to 19th Streets, having demolished the old tenements, garages, and yards that were there before. But then right outside the window was this throwback to the days when produce, meat, dry goods, all were transported by rail. The tracks actually went into the buildings through huge tunnels built into the foundations. It was fascinating to watch. And the New York Central Railroad had been delivering goods that way, making its way from the Erie Canal right down to our neighborhood for over a hundred years. Living in that building, a high-rise with a view of the river and beyond, was so different than living in the heart of the village on 12th Street. On 12th Street, you were in the middle of the village activity. On 17th and 10th Avenue, you were on the edge of the island, able to see its defining shape and boundaries. It allowed me to understand better why the city was the city it had become. From its beginnings as a small Dutch settlement to the sprawling metropolis it was now. And two of the reasons were right there in front of me as I looked out that window, the Hudson River, called the North River in Dutch times, and yes, that mighty railroad that transformed the whole country years later. The city was behind me, the rest of the country out there somewhere in front of me. It was heady stuff for a nine-year-old lover of history. I would sit by that window and watch the trains as they came from uptown, the piers and beyond, the Hudson River Valley, and move along in front of me right to left, then disappear into the huge red building on 16th Street that housed the National Biscuit Company, Nabisco. Then they would emerge on the other side after depositing their cargo and continue to the Manhattan Refrigeration Company below 12th Street. There, local trucks would load the goods and deliver them to various supermarkets and stores around the village in Lower Manhattan. The whole thing was a snapshot of New York City in a different age. And of course, the freight trains eventually lost ground to cross-country trucking, and this particular portion of the past was doomed. 
In the late 1980s, the last train made its lonely journey downtown. I had moved by then, and I knew the tracks remained abandoned and forgotten after that last train journey. And then one day, I read that there was a proposal to demolish the tracks and dismantle the trestle I remembered so well. I knew then I had to get back there one more time before it simply vanished, like so much of the city had already. I wanted to stand on those tracks, walk back into history while it was still there. Little did I know what was in store for them. At the time, there were no friends of the High Line, and you could sense it, a feeling in the neighborhood itself that the whole area, the whole area of the city called West Chelsea, was on the verge of change. Like the Bowery and the East Village, the industrial grunge that characterized it, indeed that gave it its particular charm, its soul, and yes, chronicled its history, was soon to be replaced, sanitized, homogenized. In Chelsea's case, change came very quickly, and seemingly overnight it would become another trendy, high-rent, unaffordable piece of the Manhattan money monopoly. But first, I had to see the thing one more time. It wasn't hard to get through the old wire fence, hastily put up to keep out the riffraff. I guess that would be me. Dimly lit light bulbs clung to the fence tops on either side of the tracks. I climbed the stairs and finally stood on the rusted tracks, overgrown with weeds. North of me, the lights of Hell's Kitchen glowed, glowed bright. Headlights from the cars on the West Side Highway skittered past on my left. The air smelled of river and rust, the perfume of the West Side. I turned to look behind me at the giant maw that was the tunnel entrance to the old Nabisco building, soon to be reborn as the Chelsea Market. Turning back to the north, looking up the empty tracks, it was hard to keep my brain from conjuring up the headlamp of an oncoming diesel engine determined to deliver its cargo on time. But of course, the light was coming from the buildings beyond. The streets below with their never-ending traffic provided the soundtrack, and it was just me, the night, and the High Line as I knew it, enjoying one last evening together. I knew the moment was fleeting in the darkness of what lay ahead was inevitable. It was as I expected it to be, haunting and comforting, sad and bittersweet. That happens any time you meet the past while knowing or at least suspecting the future. I stood for a long while, breathing in the night air, and once, just once, I looked to my right, into the city, to see my old building. A bright light emanated from the window that used to be my bedroom. Then it was time to go, and leave the high line to the ghosts. Fast forward to the present. My friend had indeed visited the high line on his trip to New York, and as I had asked, he did stop at 17th Street and look at my old home. Now it was my turn to ask him, what did it all look like now? He smiled at me, a knowing, melancholy smile, and told me what I knew. He said I wouldn't recognize it anymore. It was nothing like what I had described to him. I haven't yet visited the new High Line and its gardens and pathways, green spaces and planned vistas. I've never made it to the Hudson Yards or the Chelsea Piers either. Yet more recent developments that have transformed that part of town. Maybe one day I will, or maybe I won't, and I'll just let it live in me, the way I remember it, old and rusty, part of another age in the city I remember so well, so many, many years ago. Rob. <laughs>